0: Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Friends, it's great to be here. Some of you may not know me. I'm Mark, Mark Calder. I serve, uh, by the grace of God, as the Bishop of the Diocese of Bathurst, which takes about uh, a third of the size of New South Wales the central and west of New South Wales. And it's a great joy to be here for this week, for this Mission in Australia week. And I'm very, uh, very thankful for the opportunity to uh, share God's word with you in chapel yesterday, today and tomorrow. I I was sitting in the coffee shop at Parkside this morning just thinking, why did I choose this passage? Um, (laughs) But it was too late to change. And um, so I will stay with this passage. But I do want to say this. Uh, as a kind of a trigger warning, uh, the, the matter of sexual abuse will arise. And so if that uh, could be um, harmful or hurtful for you, I won't mind, no one will mind if you just sort of check out right now or seek some um, care uh, afterwards. So I just wanted to to say that. So we just go to our title today, which is um, the next slide, Australia and the Terrible Times of to Timothy chapter 3. There will be terrible times, Paul says, in the last days. And if we're going to talk about mission in Australia, we would do well to make sure that we grapple with our present context so that we don't romanticise about what mission in Australia will be like. Uh, let's be clear from the start about what Paul says are the last days. Do you see that right there in verse 1, if you have that open in front of you? Um, I remember mum and dad saying 40 years ago in response to something terrible happening around our world or some obvious moral decline in our own nation, oh, this must be the last days, they would say, Um, because in their understanding, um, the, the society would dramatically decline in the days immediately before Jesus' return. So they would say, oh, he mustn't be far away now. We must be in the last days. But because you're studying here at Ridley College, you won't need me to tell you that biblically understood the last days are all the days between Jesus' ascension and his return. So what Paul is describing here to Timothy are both his days and our days, 1st century and 21st century and all the centuries in between. And he says there will be terrible times in and among those last days. But I have a problem too, problems, in fact. First, who are these people that are described here? Uh, Paul says there will be terrible times, but these just sound like terrible people, don't they? Uh, And in fact, there are 19 ways specifically mentioned in which they are terrible. So who are these people? And here's my other problem. At the end of the previous passage, at the end of chapter 2, you can just flip back there or look back there, uh, Timothy was told that he must gently instruct those who were opposed to him. He's talking about people who follow stupid and foolish arguments and says that the Lord's servant must not not be quarrelsome but kind and opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. But here we read at the end of verse 5, something of a surprise, surely, have nothing to do with such people, the people he's mentioned at the beginning of the passage. So who is it that we're to gently instruct and who is it that we are to actively avoid? Well, uh, I hope to explore some of these issues with you and here's where we're heading um, this morning. Who are these people? Do we gently instruct or avoid them and what are the implications for missions to Australia? So first of all, uh, the next slide, who are these people? I don't really want to read the list again. It's not Happy reading, is it? Verse 2 lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, and on and on it goes. And you know what our first inclination is to think, yeah, how accurate that is, just like what the world is like today. We observe the world and we note that with great sadness, people do not love God. They have at least three other loves, love of self, love of money, love of pleasure, and they'll do anything to satisfy those three loves. But here's the shock. I don't think Paul is talking about the world. I think he's talking about the church, people in the church. Why do I say that? Two reasons. Have a look with me at verse 5. Paul says these people have a form of godliness but deny its power. You'd never describe people of the world, unbelievers, that way. A form of godliness, yes, they look the part. In this our day, they may take part in church. They may be singing and praying and giving. Uh, If they are clergy, they might look the part in all their robes and love dress-ups. An outward form of godliness, but they deny the power of the gospel to challenge them and change them, to make a difference in their lives. Now, the second reason that I argue that these people are, Inside the church, not outside, comes in the second paragraph. Have a look with me at verse 7. They are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That, that That's certainly a description of some believers or people who claim they believe. I know many supposedly very learned who are working on their next degree or their next book but they actually deny the most fundamental truths of the Bible. So who are we talking about? People who by outward appearance are in the church, they look like Christians, but by their behaviour, that reality, their claim, is seriously called into question. They prey on the most vulnerable for their own advantage. Verse 6, they worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. I had a woman in my office three weeks ago to tell me that as a 14-year-old she was abused by her minister in a Sydney parish. When I raised it with the Archbishop of Sydney, tragically the minister was a known abuser. Her case was not isolated. Our diocese has paid out $5 million in the last six or seven years to victims of sexual abuse from our diocese, with another $2.5 million we are likely to have to find at, the, at this present stage. I know at least two Anglican clergy in the last three years from Sydney Diocese who have been stood down because of adultery with people in their parishes and not one-offs but multiple cases. That's who Paul's talking about. The Royal Commission has tragically brought to light both lay and clergy who have used their position to gain control over the most vulnerable young children. I know of treasurers who have ripped ripped off their congregation's money. Clergy who have bullied their staff. Lay people who have bullied their clergy. A form of godliness. They look the part, but they don't want to be changed by the gospel. What a sad, shocking picture this is. And and why are we being told this? Why is Paul telling Timothy? Why is God in his word telling us this? So that we won't be naive and uninformed, so that we won't be shocked and surprised, so that we'll have a realistic picture of the church, so that when clergy are put away for pedophilia and treasurers for fraud and ministers stood down for adultery, we can say, well, yeah, this is the church God himself told us about. The trouble, in inverted commas, the trouble with the church, is, you see, that all, is that all are welcome. Tax collectors and adulterers and prostitutes and other sinners, notorious and not so notorious, all are welcome. There's no standard of entry, no test you have to pass before you're allowed in. Just as I am, says the words of the old hymn. And it's not that we're, regard, we're to now regard the person next to us with some sort of suspicion or question mark until they prove themselves. Because for the most part, we come just as I am, but we don't stay that way. For the most part, we will not deny the power of godliness and God by his Holy Spirit will be wonderfully at work in us to change us by his word. Remember, the aim of the scriptures in the very next passage is to teach and correct and train us in righteousness and to prepare us for every good work. But we must be awake to the fact that some will come just as I am and stay just as I am. And in fact, some churches will preach, stay just as you are. No change required. So what are we to do then when we come across those who fit the description that Paul has given us here? Paul says, avoid them. And that brings us to the little problem that I raised in my introduction are we to gently instruct or to avoid? Which is it to be? Gently instruct or here in chapter 3 verse 5 have nothing to do with such people. Verse 8, they are men of depraved minds who as far as their faith is con- as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. On the one hand, gentle instruction in the hope of repentance to the other, avoid them, they are rejected. The difference seems to be, as far as I can work out, between false teaching, quarrelling about words, and false living. There is a hope in the case of the false teachers of chapter 2 that by their repentance they might come to a knowledge of the truth. This doesn't seem to be the same hope in the case of those who live as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 7, they are never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And verse 8, as far as their faith is concerned, they are rejected. Verse 9, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, friends, for those who have been abused or ripped off or bullied by someone at the church, here is a clear message that behind such terrible, terrible actions are people who are not acceptable to God and therefore not to be accepted or welcomed by God's people. They are to be rejected. They are rejected by God and avoided by God's people. That may be small comfort to you today if you've been hurt or damaged by people in the church, but it may be some As an aside, there are other passages where people like this are to be put out of the fellowship of God's people and the expectation is that they might therefore by that see the serious nature of their situation, repent and be restored. But of course we always interpret, and of course, sorry, we always interpret scripture with scripture. So we need to understand that but we also need to feel the full weight of what is being said here in its own right. Here, simply... Avoid such people. Why? Because it will make abundantly clear that such behaviour is unacceptable. Our rejection will reflect the reality of God's rejection. And two, it will protect you from being led astray by them so their terrible behaviour won't influence or entice you to join them. Now, this is completely consistent with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. Do you recall? He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But I'm now writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. See, he specifically refers to anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral. And he adds, idolatrous, slanderer, drunkard or swindler, lest we think it's just about sex. This is pretty hard, isn't it? Do you know anyone in the church who has a form of godliness and yet they are sexually immoral? Or they are an idolater? Or they fit one of the other descriptions? in that terrible list? You need to avoid them. Well, that may raise a lot more questions than it answers. But I want to look finally at what the implications are for Mission to Australia. And this all tells me two things. One, the need is very great. This is why we need you here training for ministry. What you are doing in putting aside years to study God's word and prepare for ministry is just so good and it will continue doing my heart good when I return home. Just to know that you're here week by week studying God's word and preparing yourselves for ministry, that is so fantastic because I have to tell you that in my own diocese, It is the clear lack of Bible teaching going back over so many years that has led to many of the issues that are raised right here in front of us in chapter 3. So we need you. We need more workers in the harvest field. We need people faithfully teaching God's work, to God's word, so that the word of God goes to work on people's hearts. We need people who will be the totally opposite of what Paul has described, who can be instruments of change and transformation. Friends, here's the reality. Not only do we have a mission on our doorstep in Australia, but there is an entire mission field inside our churches of people who have not known good Bible teaching and therefore not known the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to rebuke, correct, train and equip. So don't ever think for a moment that what you're doing here is insignificant. The more of you who can come to Ridley and other like-minded colleges to train for ministry, the more hope there is for mission in Australia. Mission in Australia must start with revitalising and empowering our churches and seeing God's work radically shape and mould and challenge our people so that the gospel goes to work on them and there's power to change. So that's, that's the first thing. The need is very great. That's what this passage tells us for mission in Australia. And secondly, I want to end by reminding you that the gospel is very powerful. It is true that there will be terrible times. But lest we lose hope or perspective, it is also true that there will be glorious times. There will be glorious times, and here I'm looking at Ephesians 4 and 5. There will be glorious times when people will live a life worthy of the calling they've received where they will be completely humble and gentle and patient and they'll bear one another in love. There'll be beautiful times when people make the effort of keeping the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There will be glorious times when people put off falsehood and speak truthfully to their neighbour. There will be wondrous days when people will not let any unwholesome talk come out of their mouths, but only what is helpful for building up of others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. There will be wonderful times when people get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every kind of malice. There will be beautiful days when people are kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us there'll be glorious times when there's not even a hint of sexual immorality or any other kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people and there'll be wonderful times when there's no more obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving are you getting the idea Oh, man, glorious, wonderful times, rejoicing in God's Holy Spirit power to change us from one degree of glory to another. The power of God's Spirit to transform us and to change us is very great. And although there will be some who will deny the power of godliness and don't want to know the truth, there will be many, many who will come just as they are but are being renewed inwardly day by day. Praise God. This is where mission in Australia must start, the radical, total transformation of us as God's people, we who are currently members of the church, so that we can authentically reach those who do not believe. May God in his great kindness protect our churches from terrible times and terrible people. And by the riches of his grace... May we see more and more glorious times, marked by the transforming power of the Spirit, which then brings forth the beautiful fruit of the Spirit. Lord, bring revival in our nation, we pray, and start the work with us, yes, and in our churches, to his praise and glory. Amen.